When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, welcome to Far-Fetched Fables. This is show number 17, back in the studio, so the show should be easier on your ears. So please sit back, relax, close your eyes. Let's listen to some stories. Our first tale today is another corker by Triple F's good friend Laurel Winter, called The Flying Woman. Laurel grew up in the mountains of Montana and has acquired an eclectic education, including credits in English, physics and psychology from Montana State, and numerous writing and art classes. A number of high school literature textbooks contain egg horror poem, and she's hoping her novel Growing Wings gets a baby sister this year. Her current passion is playing poker. It's read for you by the amazing Sarah Fredrickson, our quasi-Australian narration genius. So, here it is. The boats rested uneasily on the surface of the sea, waiting to leave. Chief Lowe gripped Raff's shoulders in one hand and tilted Danilla's face up with the other. Swear you will not use your unnatural power to leave this island, he said. Swear on your father's life. His fingers squeezed Danilla's chin. Their father sat in one of the boats, his face shiny with tears. I swear, she said. I swear, please don't hurt him. Rath held silent, and then he gasped as the leader's hand closed on his arm. I swear. The leader pushed him hard and let go of Danilla. Her eyes blurred and she fell to her knees in the sea. Before Rath could regain his breath and sit up again, Chief Lowe and their father and the other men and the boats were small and far away. And then gone. Raph sat rubbing his shoulders for a long time. Danilla felt the ocean and the beach grow larger and larger with every heartbeat, and herself grow smaller. She didn't want to ask her brother the question, because what if he didn't know? Finally, when she felt as small as one of the gritty grains of sand, she couldn't help it any longer. What will we do? she asked, her voice high with fear. Raph looked at her and smiled. 
We'll explore, he said. Find some food, build a shelter, do some magic. But we promised, she said. He shook his head. We promised not to use it to escape the island. He smiled again. This time it looked more real. Find me some raw magic. But what about our mother? That promise? Raph closed his eyes for a moment. I promised to hide the magic as well as I could, so the others wouldn't find out. His voice sounding curiously young. We both tried to be careful, didn't we? Danila nodded. Raph had mainly done small magics, strengthening snares, summoning a second tree crawler so there would be enough for a stew, ripening fruit, away from the others. But not far enough away, it had turned out. He continued, But now they know. That promise doesn't count anymore. We can do magic as much as we want, whenever we want to. Find me some good, raw magic. Danila felt a delicious shiver run through her. They didn't have to hide here. That was the good thing about being caught. What are you going to do? she asked. You'll see. They had always worked together. Danila finding the raw magic, Raph using it. For some odd reason, he couldn't sense the raw magic. She could. Like smelling flowers that she didn't know how to pick. She turned slowly around now, letting her mind search. Traces of it were everywhere. No one had used magic here for a long time, if ever. A little farther up the beach it seemed deeper. Richer. Here, she said. When he'd reached the point that she had directed him to, he knelt and stretched his hands out and let it collect on his splayed fingers. Ripples flowed up his hands and wrists until his entire lower arms were encased in glowing, translucent, raw magic. Danila loved this part. Raph kept gathering until she nodded to him that he had enough. Carefully, he raised his hands and stood. Danila couldn't keep from dancing a bit. What was he going to do? His lips moved as he spoke silently to the raw magic, and then he snapped his hands forward. Drops of brilliance leapt out, sparkling air. Before, when the magic had to be secret, he had only done tiny splashes, and only a few times. Colored bits showered, and she joined in, dancing wildly as the air danced around her. Raph just laughed and watched her. Danila leaped and twirled as the sparkles faded to pale and then disappeared, leaving her panting on the sand. Come on, said Raph. We need to figure out where to stay. He snatched up the small bag of food and water that had been left for them and set off. Danila set off after him, wishing he'd slow down a little, or at least wait until she rested. But the shadows lengthened around them, and she didn't want darkness to come before they had shelter. Likely-looking caves pocked the cliff face, but neither of them wanted to start climbing this late in the day. "'We could build a treehouse,' Danila said, pointing at the lush forest that spilled down the hillside to the east of the cliffs. Raph stopped and looked at her, his brown eyes wide. "'You are almost as smart as your brother,' he said. "'A treehouse it is.' None of the trees had wide-spreading branches, though, 
so they ended up building a platform between three trees, with the help of raw magic that had seeped to the surface. The first three logs they had to lift into place and tie up with vines, a shaky structure indeed, but then Raff used magic to make new branches grow from the ends of the dead logs and curve around the supporting trees. After that it was a fairly simple task to lay more logs across the triangle. Darkness crept around them, but Raff spent a few minutes growing vines over and under the logs, anchoring them to each other, to the base logs, and to the support trees. "'Tomorrow we'll figure out a roof,' he said, his voice hoarse with exhaustion, both from all the magic and from hefting the logs, Danilla thought. She could barely haul herself up onto the low platform and swallow a few bites of fruit from the food bag. The logs weren't terribly comfortable, but the vines helped somewhat. She didn't spend much time tossing about before the deep, velvet night crept into her mind. She woke up hungry and thirsty. The sound of the small stream that flowed past their treehouse made her want to pee. Raph still slept, one arm hanging down from the platform. Danilla rummaged through the bag. The people had not been generous. Several underripe pulp fruits, a twist of bread wrapped in a dry leaf, one small gourd of water. No sweets, no meat. Well, we don't need it, thought Danilla. We are the ones who never have empty snares. She threw one of the fruits at a nearby tree. Birds exploded from it, shrieking. Raff sat up fast, his eyes scared. Danilla apologized and handed him half the twist of bread. "'Let's go make a snare,' she said, flopping down from the platform. "'I'm hungry for real food.' The bread tasted good, but there wasn't enough of it to make a meal. After they had gone off in different directions to relieve themselves, they set off for hunting. Danilla also kept her senses open for some wild, hot, raw magic which Raff would need to make an ever-burning fire. There was none. They'd have to make do with the ordinary stuff for fire, then, and hope for the best. They set the first snare in a clump of tough grass not far from the treehouse. Raff made the stems even stronger and set one of the fruits from the bag in the center of the clump, except he made it seem more luscious, ripe, bursting with sweet juice. Then, when he and Danilla had stepped back, he set the snare. They set several more snares, one of them with a magically balanced log, large enough to crush the spine of a pig or other large beast. Then they meandered back towards the first snare, their stomachs growling. They heard the sound of struggle some distance away. Success! Raph's longer legs got him there first, but Danilla came soon after. Usually small snares caught small animals. Somehow, the snare had managed to wrap itself securely about the head and neck of a deer that had gone for the fruit. The frantic animal had pawed and stamped and ripped the ground up with his hooves, but it was still trapped. "'Now what?' asked Danilla, still panting. Raph didn't answer right away. "'If I had a sharp knife,' he said, "'we could slit its throat.' "'So make one,' said Danilla. "'We need one to cut it up anyway.' "'It's not that easy!' Raph's voice sounded angry. The deer struggled harder as they spoke, but the snare held. Danilla started to feel scared. The animals they usually snared were small enough that a rock to the back of the skull would kill them, 
and always before when they'd brought their prey back there had been fine stone knives to cut up the meat, and grown-ups who knew just how to do it. Magic couldn't manage everything, she realized. Or maybe it could. But Raph didn't know how. Their mother hadn't had time to teach him enough before she died. The deer thrashed, its breath coming hard. I know! shouted Danilla. She yanked a vine from the overhanging branch and approached the snare. Once he saw what she planned, Raph helped. Good thing, too, as it was no easy task to strangle the deer with the vine. They both ended up with bruises, but finally the struggling animal went limp. Raph released the snare magic, and they both stared at the sleek body at their feet. Sharp rocks did little. Sharpened sticks did nothing. Eventually, Raph lost his patience and set the animal on fire. Or tried to, anyway. The flames sputtered and went out, time after time. Finally, it caught. Danilla moved back, away from the smell of burning hair, the eye-stinging smoke. She wanted to drag the deer into the circle of huts and have Kamesa slit the skin with her black-bladed knife and peel it back. She even wanted to drag the entrails away on a sled made of malik leaves and bury them. She wanted to watch the animal sizzle over the big fire pit and only get a child's share and what she could sneak from the carcass when the adults lounged full and indulgent. She closed her eyes and tried to keep from crying, but she could feel the tears squeezing out and running down her cheeks. She sank into a crouch and watched the burning deer waver and shine through layers of tears. After a time, Raph came up to her. Here, he said, giving a small chunk of meat he had hacked from one of the flanks with a sharp rock. His face had streaks of black, and she could see that he had burned his fingers. He said nothing about her tears, so she wiped her face and looked at the meat. It was hot with burnt hair and skin still clinging to the charred side. Danilla ate, picking pieces of hair from her tongue. When she had eaten all that was edible, she went to the smoking carcass and hacked off another piece. Most of the meat was ruined, but the two of them filled their stomachs. When they were done, they dragged the blackened body further from their treehouse. They washed in the stream when they got back. Danilla felt weary and sore. Would every day be like this? She splashed water on her face and arms. A large bruise on her left shin marked the encounter with the deer. She missed her father. She splashed more water on her face to hide the tears. I know, shouted Raph, bounding from the water. He ran to the food bag and held up the last fruit triumphantly. Danilla stared at him. Find me some raw magic he said. They had used up most of the nearby raw magic, and not enough time had gone by to replenish it, but Danilla found some a little ways off. Raph collected it with one hand, still holding the fruit in the other. When he had enough, he placed the fruit on the ground near the treehouse and dribbled magic over it. The fruit shuddered, and split, and sprouted. A stem grew, quickly becoming a trunk. Leafy branches emerged, and flowers budded and bloomed and became fruit. Raph shook off the last of the raw magic, and the magic stopped. He picked a pulp fruit and handed it to Danilla. It was a treat after the half-burned deer meat, 
She sucked the juices from her fingers and climbed up onto the platform. The canopy of leaves made a green ceiling. A ceiling, she knew, that would let the rain splatter down upon them, and they truly needed walls as well, or the wet wind would drench them when it came blowing almost sideways. Mollock leaves, sewn together or glued with tree resin, made good temporary shelter, but they dried out and cracked. Unless they could be kept growing. Living Mollock leaves growing from the branches of other trees. Raff didn't find it easy, but it did work. They had a house. They fell into a pattern. Mornings were spent checking and setting snares. Evenings they chipped at the edges of stones and shells, trying to perfect the rough blades they used to butcher their meat. And in between, they picked fruit or swam or explored the island, Danilla finding pools and streaks and fountains of raw magic. It still amazed her that Raff couldn't sense it, that no one else she knew could either. Her earliest memory was of learning to walk, staggering in a twisted path so she wouldn't step in the places where the intensity was greatest. Their mother had been able to see it, and use it. She had shown Raff secret magics, discovered his talent, and pointed out raw magic to him, until her life bled away at Danilla's birth. Her magic had not saved her. Sometimes Danilla wondered if she missed their mother more than Raff did, even though she had never known her. But of course she didn't, because Raff had been seven when their mother died, old enough to hold strong memories in his head. If he was in the right mood, he would tell Danilla stories from that time, from the good time, when he and his mother worked magic together in the forest, away from everyone else. Not long after Raff grew the roof and the walls for their treehouse, as they lay in the green darkness waiting to sleep, he had been in such a mood. "'I wonder if our mother came from a place like this,' he said. "'She wasn't like any of the others.' not even like father, although more like him than anyone else. Vines rustled, and Danilla sensed he was trying to see her in the darkness, skinny and tough with frizzy brown hair and skin the same color. She was like you. Danilla felt a flash of pride. Did she look like me? No, said Raff with a laugh in his voice. You look like her. He looked like father and the rest of the people, tall and golden-brown with straight black hair. She showed me raw magic and taught me to use it, and father was so happy all the time. He sometimes came from hunting in the middle of the day, just so he could be with her. The other men laughed at him and teased him, but she was rare. His voice trailed off and silence filled the darkness. Danilla was almost asleep when he spoke again. I want to have a woman that I will go home just to laugh with in the middle of hunting. But there aren't any other people on the island, thought Danilla, as she drifted into a dream. For a while they were reasonably content in their new life, but soon the island was explored and the stone knives sharp enough. Raff took to wandering on the beaches, staring at the sea, chasing Danilla away with harsh words if she wandered too close. 
he didn't tell any more stories about their mother, or anything else for that matter. Danila was more and more alone. The treehouse began to feel small and temporary. Let's move to one of the caves, she said, more than once. Raph would nod or shrug, but he never wanted to actually do it. And then the wet wind came. It blew stronger here than where they had come from, or perhaps they had just built in the wrong place. It shredded even living malak leaves, pelting the two of them with cold, harsh drops and bits of debris. A splintered branch whipped through the air, cutting Danila's face. Even Raph looked frightened as he hauled her off the platform and dragged her beneath the logs. Danila couldn't keep from crying. Raph gave her a warming hug and a shaky smile. "'We should move to one of the caves!' he yelled above the sound of the wind. Danila let a laugh tumble into the middle of her sobs, and then they were laughing together in spite of being wet and miserable. When the wind lulled the next day, a temporary thing, they clambered up the wet stone into the lowest cave. "'This won't do,' said Raph, fingering bits of shells he'd picked up from the cave floor. "'The sea comes this high.' The next cliff up, though, was Danilla's favourite. "'Come see!' she said, going into the twist at the back where water seeped down the rock wall. Raph didn't follow. She peeked around the corner to see him staring out. There's something. His voice trailed off and he shaded his eyes. There's someone out in the sea. Danilla ran to the opening and scanned the wild sea, turbulent from the night storm. Nothing but waves. Raph pointed. There. Near the beach. A bit of flotsam. It's just a log, she said. Driftwood. And then she saw the arm, and what had appeared to be part of the waves, but now transformed into clothing. You're right. Raph was already halfway down the cliff. Danilla followed him cautiously, her heart pounding like the waves against the beach. What if it was father, or one of the others from their village? The person still had to be alive, or the arm would have slipped from the log wouldn't it? There was going to be someone on the island, even if it was a stranger. By the time Danilla had negotiated the cliff and run down to the sea's shifting edge, Raph had plunged into the surf. He reached the log just as the arm slipped off and the person disappeared beneath the surface. Raph disappeared too, then, and Danilla opened her mouth to scream, but there wasn't enough air in her lungs. What if he didn't come up again? What if she was alone on the island, forever? But he did come up, gasping, swimming with one arm, the other holding someone by the hair. Not father, because the hair was long and light. They had made it almost to the shore, and Danila ran into the waves and helped Raph haul the stranger up onto the sand. Stranger. The being was a... not a human woman, but clearly a female creature. Breasts showed through the rips in a sodden garment. The face looked human, for all that it was bruised and grey with cold, but the huge, tattered wings sprouting from the shoulders did not. It was not clear if it—she even lived. "'Help me!' yelled Raph, his voice quivering with cold or emotion. Danilla couldn't tell. "'Do what?' she asked. The creature lay like a dead thing at her feet. She shuddered. Find me some raw magic. 
He knelt and rubbed the stranger's arms and face. And some dry wood. We need a fire. Danilla looked around. She couldn't concentrate, couldn't focus. Here and there were dribs and drabs of raw magic, but they didn't feel right to her. And there wouldn't be a piece of dry wood on the entire island after the wet wind had blown through. There is none! she screamed. Raph swore and pulled her down. Do this! he said, grabbing her hands and scrubbing them up and down over the cold arms. She's dead! Danilla wailed, trying to pull away. Raph wouldn't let her. She's not, he said fiercely. Keep rubbing. We have to warm her up. He glared at her and released her hands. We have to, he said. He stood. Danilla kept her hands moving over the sand, gritty arms. Raph nodded and began gathering wet fragments of driftwood thrown up on the beach by the angry waves. Danilla watched him, easier than watching the strange person lying so limp beneath her hands. When Raph had a small pile of wood, he thrust his hands out blindly to gather raw magic he couldn't sense. Again and again he tried to start the fire. Nothing. Nothing. Danilla's arms felt as if they would fall off. Nothing. Then, smoke. Finally, Raph had a small fire going. They dragged the limp figure next to it. Raph took over the rubbing, and Danilla crouched nearby, clutching her knees with aching arms. Was she dead? Smoke swirled on the wind and shrouded the three of them. Danilla closed stinging eyes and coughed. She heard Raph coughing as well, and more coughing, and a retching sound. She opened her eyes to see the flying woman rolled over on her side, gasping and spitting up seawater. It was impossible to get the shivering creature up the cliff face to the cave, and yet they did it. Raph made a ladder of logs and vines. They rested for a long time in the first cave, the waves spitting furiously at them before they made their shaky way to the second. The winged woman wasn't pretty, thought Danilla, with her pale, bruised skin, her almost colorless hair. But she was young. Maybe no older than Raph. After they climbed up, Raph going first, hauling the stranger by one hand while Danilla did her best to guide her feet from the bottom, Raph pulled her up the ladder and began to rip it apart. "'What are you doing?' Danilla shouted. "'We have to have a fire,' he said. "'There's nothing else to burn.' He tried again and again to set the remains of the ladder on fire, but there was not enough of even the wrong kind of raw magic in the cave. Finally he had to venture out again to the smoldering remnants of their old fire and bring back a half-burning stick. Danilla had to turn away from the opening. It was too frightening watching his exhausted, one-handed progress up the cliff. The flying woman lay against the wall, shivering. Her golden eyes were open, watching Danilla with no expression. It was as if she had no strength to be grateful or scared, or anything at all. Danilla's strength was sapped as well, and there seemed no threat in the pathetic figure they had rescued. But an odd shiver of fear traveled through her. The next day they made many feverish trips to haul up wood and food and leaves and what was left of their belongings from the treehouse. Most of the time the flying woman slept near the fire, half waking to drink down a few mouthfuls of broth. Raph was not back from a run to the snares. Danilla was mashing some fruit so it would be easy to swallow. The flying woman struggled up to a half-sitting position and spoke some words in a strange language with many tongue-clicking sounds. 
Danilla ground. Of course it would be too much to expect that they could understand each other. Before she could say anything, the woman tried again, with words that sounded totally different, smooth and liquid and just as incomprehensible. I don't understand, she said. She touched her chest with one finger. Danila. She pointed to the other and made what she hoped was a questioning expression. The flying woman let out a big breath. Danila. My name is Sharami. Her voice sounded scratchy. You can talk to me. How? My duty is to... to exchange words in one tongue for another. She dropped back down, but she didn't close her eyes again. Many of my people do this. Because you can fly? asked Danila. Because you know all the people? Sharami's expression made her feel like the time she had carried an armful of still green fruit back to the village as a young child. No one can know all the people. Not even the great ones, but yes, we know many people, many tongues. What is it like to fly in the air? Sharami turned to the wall and didn't answer. Her wings shook with weeping. She wept for hours, long after Raph returned with a woven bag of dead rodents slung over his shoulder. Nothing he did consoled her. The only words she spoke were, Go away. Leave me alone. In the end she fell asleep, still sobbing. Raph was elated that she could understand and speak to them. She'll be our friend, he told Danilla. Danilla shrugged. Maybe, she said. Or maybe she'll fly away as soon as she's well. It seemed disloyal to Raph, who clearly wanted Jeremy to stay, but she hoped to one day see her launch into the air and disappear in the distance. Maybe it was the way Raph looked at Sheremy, but she was uneasy now in a way that she had not been since they'd been abandoned on the island. Their guest soon regained her strength, but she was clearly unable to fly. It was difficult for her to climb to and from the cave if the wind was blowing, as it caught at her wings and threatened to pull her from the face of the cliff. Danilla also, with her shorter reach, found the going hazardous so she and Sheremy were frequently stuck in the cave together while Raph checked snares or picked fruit or carried wood. Danilla hated these times. Sheremy talked to her only when boredom drove her to it or Danilla asked a question, and sometimes not even then. She spent long hours preening her wings, with tears dripping from her eyes. Raph seemed determined not to notice her unhappiness. He brought her the best fruits— checked the snares twice a day, climbed high and hazardous parts of the cliff for seabird eggs, which she swallowed from the shell. He questioned her about her world, so much larger than theirs. For a time this worked. Raph grew bold enough to offer to comb out her long, tangled hair, his hands moving soft and slow as whispers. Danilla got a... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Strange feeling in her stomach as she watched them. Jeremy sitting with her head tilted back, her eyes closed. Raph kneeling behind her, his lips parted. Sometimes Danilla rolled on her side and stared at the cave wall, but knowing they were there behind her made the silence loud and throbbing and unbearable. Why doesn't she just go? She asked herself again and again. But Jeremy despite seeming miserable except when Raph combed her hair, did not go. She didn't fly at all. Danilla wanted to ask her why, but Jeremy drew a curtain of silence around herself that seemed impenetrable. Then, one night, when Danilla was feigning sleep, watching them through her lashes, Raph let the carved wooden comb slip from his fingers. His hands followed the curve of Jeremy's wings. Jeremy shuddered visibly. Her wings flared, hiding Raph from view. Only his fingers were visible, sliding along the edge of her wings and his kneeling legs. Danilla closed her eyes and rolled over to face the wall. Oddly, Jeremy seemed even less happy after that. She spent plenty of time with Raph. He followed her everywhere. But she never smiled never laughed, hardly ever talked, even to Raph. On windy days, she didn't leave the cave at all, just crouched near the entrance, staring out. Danilla got the idea, though, that she wasn't seeing the waves at all, only the sky. Why don't you just fly away? Danilla asked once. Jeremy rocked back on her heels. Don't you think I would if I could? she asked. Do you think I would stay here with you and your pitiful brother if I had a choice. Her face was as pale as her hair. Her wings beat the air, creating a wind in the cave that rivaled the wind outside. Danilla shrank back. I curse the magic that took flight from me, left me here with none of my own kind, with only ground worms. Danilla escaped into the wind, tears drying on her face almost as quickly as they flowed. When Raph came back with a large bird in one hand, she sat huddled in the sand at the base of the cliff. "'What's the matter?' he shouted. The wind snatched at his words. "'She doesn't want to be here,' said Danilla. "'She wants to be with people of her own kind, not with us.' Raph looked down. "'It isn't true,' he said, his voice fierce. "'It is. She wants to fly away, but some magic won't let her.' Now Danilla looked at the sand. Maybe you can use magic to help her fly again. No, he cried. I promised. We promised not to use magic to leave the island. For us to leave, she said. But Raph had already begun to climb the cliff, the bright feathers of the dead bird blowing sideways as he climbed. Danilla stayed where she was. A few minutes later, the bird plummeted to the ground before her, a brilliant stain on the sand. 
Jeremy stopped eating. Not entirely, but the few bites she took each day were clearly not enough to sustain her. She paid no attention to either of them, not seeming to care when Raph combed her hair, not even seeming to notice. Her face grew hollow and drawn. Only her wings didn't change. She slept most of the time, huddled into a ball, her wings drawn tight against her back. Raph's face began to look drawn as well. "'We have to do something,' said Danilla. "'Or she'll die. I won't make her leave.' Raph closed his eyes and clenched his fists. "'I need her. I love her.' "'But she's going to die,' said Danilla. "'Do you want her to die? Without any of her own kind around?' Raph slowly opened his eyes. Find me some raw magic, he said. What are you going to do? asked Danilla. Remember when we used to summon more animals, when one wasn't enough? She nodded reluctantly. But she's not in... It should work the same way. I have to try. They climbed down the cliff together, leaving the wasted figure alone, asleep. Raph tapped the raw magic that Danella led him to. He looked up at the cave entrance, a darkness on the face of the cliff. Danilla laced and unlaced her small brown fingers as Raph raised his glowing hands and began to work the magic. It was a large, difficult magic that seemed to go on and on, and then a flying woman materialized on the sand before them, a powerful woman, unclothed. Her beating wings lifted her into the air, she looked down on them with Jeremy's face, Jeremy's golden eyes. Raph! Danilla screamed. What did you do? I don't know, he said, his voice almost lost in the beating of the new Jeremy's wings as she flew through the air, diving and climbing and banking. He sounded dazed. Maybe the magic always did that. Made the same animal again, rather than summoning another of that kind. The flyer dropped to the sand. I'm leaving now, she said. No, said Raph. Wait. She needs... You need to eat first. She nodded. There's food in the cave, said Raph, pointing. This other Jeremy, so like and unlike herself, launched into the air again. We're coming, shouted Raph. What are you going to do now? asked Danilla as they ran for the cliff. She'll see herself up there, said Raph. She'll see that she must stay. But when they scrambled up into the cave, the original Jeremy, shaking and weak, was sobbing wildly. The new one had a handful of meat. Fruit juice stained her chin and dripped down onto her breasts. Keep her away from me, she said. Her eyes were fierce and cold. She needs you, Raph said. You must stay with her. The naked woman turned away, towards the opening. She doesn't need me, she said. She needs to fly. That's the way of us. She flexed her legs and leapt outward, her wings catching the air. Gone. She spiraled around twice, as if for the sheer joy of flight, and then she leveled off and flew, wings beating steadily away. 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 
No, 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 said a high, keening voice. Don't go without me. Help me. She staggered to her feet, and would have thrown herself from the cliff if Raph and her own lack of strength had not prevented it. Help me, she said over and over again, her wings beating feebly. Danilla helped Raph hold her back and carry her to her bed when she collapsed, still sobbing and shaking. Finally, Sheremy was still, drawn into sleep by the exertion. Danilla wiped tears from her own face. There was nothing to say. What they had done made things immeasurably worse. They sat together, leaning against the wall, for a very long time. Then, in a way that made him look old, Raph got to his feet. Come, he said, his voice lifeless. Danilla had to follow. Find me some, he said, when they were both on the sands. But, Danilla began. Please, said Raph. He turned away from her. Please. Danilla looked at him, saw pain and resolve. She nodded. Again, a long and difficult spell. Danilla found herself shaking. She hugged herself tightly. This time, no winged woman appeared before them. Raph dropped his arms to his sides, the only sign that the magic was complete. And then a shout from the cave. Danilla looked up. Sheremy stood in the entrance, wings spread. She leaned against the rocks for a moment. Danilla held her breath. Sheremy let herself fall forward, wings beating. She almost hit the sand before she gained control and surged upward. Immediately she aimed herself for the sea. Don't go, whispered Raph, so softly that Danilla could barely hear. Don't leave me. Together they watched the ragged flight. Danilla didn't say what she knew had to be true, that Sheremy wasn't strong enough to make it to land. Would she land in the sea, be eaten by a great fish? Please, thought Danilla fiercely, let her not fall until she is out of sight. Raph could not bear it. Somehow, in spite of the lack of food and the days spent huddled on her bed, the tiny figure remained airborne until she dwindled into nothing. Raph was still, his jaw muscles clenched, his eyes still trying to see her. She's gone, said Danilla. Come. She tried to lead him to the cliff, but he shook off her hand. Leave me alone, he said. The cave seemed suddenly too much to bear. Danilla went toward the jungle. She would check the snares, she thought. If there were any birds caught in them, she'd let them fly away. She would pick some fruit and swim in the cove and take care of Raph until his spirit flew back to him. In time. After that, somehow, Father forgive her, she would get them off the island, even if it meant using magic. They would cross the sea and find their mother's people. Raph would meet a woman who made him laugh. Danilla would find a teacher and learn to use the magic that seeped from the ground. 
she bent and dipped her fingers into a pool of raw magic. Some day. She touched her forehead to seal this new oath. I've always wanted to fly. Who hasn't? Somehow this story gives it a, a different feel. Anyhow, it's time for our second story. It's called Intelligent Design and was written by Ellen Clagus. Ellen's short fiction has appeared in science fiction and fantasy anthologies and magazines, both online and in print. Her story, Basement Magic, won the Best Novelette Nebula Award in 2005, and several of her other stories have been on the final ballot for the Nebula, World Fantasy and Hugo Awards, and have been reprinted in various year's best volumes. She was a finalist for the John W. Campbell Award and is a graduate of the Clarion South Writing Workshop. Ellen was born in Ohio and now lives in San Francisco. You can learn more at ellenclagus.com, link on the website. It's read by yours truly, simply because it's such a great story I had to do it. One of the perks of being the host and the editor. So, here it is. Intelligent Design by Ellen Clagers If one could conclude as to the nature of the Creator from a study of creation, it would appear that God has an inordinate fondness for stars and beetles. J.B.S. Haldane, 1951 God cocked his thumb and aimed his index finger at the firmament. Kapow! Pow! Pow! A line of three perfect glowing pinpoints of light appeared in the black void. He squeezed his eyes almost shut and let off a single shot. Bing! The pinprick of light at the far edge of the firmament, just where it touched the rim of the earth, glowed faintly red. God got bored. He peppered one corner of the sky with tiny specks of light clustered tight together. Each one glowed steadily. God lay down on his back and looked up at what he'd created. It was okay. He blinked. The lights flickered in and out. He blinked again. Flicker, flicker, flicker. God lay on his back and thought hard for a tiny bit of time, then stopped blinking. The lights continued to shimmer and twinkle up in the firmament. God smiled. That was better. God's grandmother, she who was before the before, she who created dust out of nothing and the universe out of dust, sculptor of the clay of the world, creator and destroyer, was baking. She peered through the thickening mist that separated that which is from that which is becoming and sighed. God, she called out. Don't you think that's enough of those? She had thought the night should remain in darkness. It was getting quite light in the firmament. Just a couple more, God said. All right, but only a few. Then I need you to come in and help with the animals. Nanadeus rolled out a sheet of clay while she waited for God to come in out of the void. Now that there was fire, there was much to be done. Systems and cycles and chains of being to set in place— and the oceans, which had turned out to be a little tricky. 
The waters had been gathered together, separated from the dry land, and that was fine, but they weren't moving. They just lay there, wet and placid and still. She'd gone out and shifted them back and forth, and they did move, but then they slowed down and lay still again, and that just wouldn't do. They had to keep moving, and she didn't have the time to go out and shake them twice a day. Besides, they were too heavy for her to be lifting all the time. Maybe she'd made the deep too deep. Where was God? If he could help make some of the simpler creatures, she'd have time to deal with the oceans. God lay on the earth, watching the twinkling stars, spraying random corners of the firmament with his outstretched finger, filling in the parts that seemed a little empty. Pow! Pow-pow! Pow-pow! Kapow! Kapow! Oops! He pursed his lips and drew in a breath, sucking a bit of light from that spot, then another, and another, until there were a few holes in the midst of the stars, blacker than the black of the void. He sat up and examined a small muddy pebble clinging to his right knee. He put it on the palm of his hand and flicked it with his first finger as hard as he could. The pebble shot far up into the firmament. God waited for it to fall down again, but it didn't. It wobbled a little and then just hung there. God made a sound with his lips, and the pebble began to glow with a bright white light. He grinned and reached for another pebble. God, I need you. Now, called Nanadeus. God dropped the pebble and went in. What are you making? Can I help? Nanadeus smiled and rumpled his hair. Yes, you can. You can be a big help right now. Watch what I do. She pulled a tray of tiny brown ovals from the oven. You need to decorate them while they're still soft, she said, putting one on the counter. She reached into one of the bins that lined the counter. Legs, said one. Wings. Antenna. She stretched the oval a little, adding two hair-like feelers and six legs, daubed it with a bit of green pigment, and added two multicoloured wings. She held out her palm. The little bug was perfect in every detail, except it was just clay. Its tiny eyes were blank and featureless, and it lay still. Pay attention, she said. This is important. She picked up another soft, baked lump and added identical legs and antenna and wings, stretching it in the same way. You have to make two of each. They can be different colours if you want, but the very same creature. Okay, God? He nodded slowly, his eyes wide and curious. Good. Now watch. She pinched a bit of bluish sparkling dust from a stone vat on the counter and sprinkled it over the dark shapes. This is the fun part. She leaned over the clay figures and breathed on them gently. Butterfly, she said. The butterfly's wings quivered, then slowly beat together and out again. They flew onto the edge of the tray to God's shoulder and out into the void. Wow! God clapped his hands in delight. Can I try? His grandmother scooped two clay dots from the tray. God stuck his tongue in the corner of his mouth and very carefully put five tiny legs into the warm clay. Can I make them red? he asked. Yes, laughed Nanadeus. We'll need a lot of insects and you may decorate them in any colours you want. Do try for symmetry, though, won't you, dear? God nodded solemnly and added a sixth leg and two little wings. He painted the round bugs bright red 
and after a moment's thought added some tiny black spots. He held them out to Nanadeus. Very nice, she said. She sprinkled and blew onto them. Ladybug, she said, and they flew away. What other kind of bugs can I make? God asked. Use your imagination, she said. Just don't get carried away. Keep them small. Yay, said God. But, she held up her finger in warning. Remember, only two of each kind. They will make more of themselves. Okay, said God. He made two red ants and two tiny green aphids and a pair of flies with fuzzy flocked legs. Nanadeus had just breathed onto the second fly when there was a shudder and then silence. Oh, God, the seas have stopped, she sighed. Will you be all right by yourself? I need to start them up. Again. He nodded. I like making bugs, he said. I thought you might, Nanadea smiled. Have fun, but don't sprinkle them. We'll name them all when I come back. She patted him on the cheek and went out to deal with still waters. God made two brown ants and a different kind of aphid, then he looked to make certain that his grandmother was gone and opened all the other bins. Fangs, pincers, horns, armour, stingers. Cool, said God. He took one of the larger mounds and outfitted it with fierce claws and long, fuzzy antenna, painting it bright, bright green. Then he made three hundred dozen dozen more, each more fearsome and garish than the last. Horns, claws, stripes, spots, bristling legs, and armoured carapaces blazed in every iridescent hue. Bugs everywhere. God wanted to make even more, but he'd run out of counter space. Where could he move them to? Move... God looked at the vat of shimmering dust. Nanadeus had said to wait for her, but... He took a handful of the dust and flung it over the trays of inanimate insects. Well, said Nanadeus from out in the void, that was easier than I'd feared. Her voice was small and distant. The rock you put up there really did the trick. Moon, tides, now why didn't I think of that ages ago? She was getting closer. God could hear her sensible shoes tramping across the face of the earth. He looked at the shimmering trays of bugs and blew hard over all of them at once. God whispered as fast as he could. Scarab, 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 weevil, tiger beetle, leaf beetle, weevil, 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 click beetle, harlequin, palm borer, leaf miner, fireflyer, weevil, 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 jewel beetle, blister beetle, bark beetle, flower beetle, stag beetle, potato beetle, stink beetle. God, how are you coming with those insects? Nanadeus asked from just beyond. God looked over her shoulder, then quickly back at the last pair of unmoving creatures on the tray. Dung beetle, he said with a grin. And it was so. Then he leaned back and began to whistle, as if he hadn't done anything at all. Creeping things covered every surface, legs and claws and pincers scuttling and skittering. God saw them and smiled. They were good. What did I tell you? Great, huh? I'd like to end off with a short piece by Michael Haynes called Act of Penance. Michael lives in central Ohio where he keeps IT systems running for a large corporation during the day 
and puts his characters through the ringer by night. He had over 20 stories accepted for publication during 2012 alone, and when he's not reading or writing, he enjoys watching movies, going to hockey games, cooking, and taking photographs. It's read for you today by Marvin Munstermann, a newcomer to Triple F with a lovely accent for this type of story. He's an actor and musician living in Germany until he figures things out. He has a day job which provides him with amusing anecdotes for his free time, and he plays guitar for a rocking band called Schwarzlicht, which are going to be huge really soon. Enjoy! Act of Penance by Michael Haynes You created me, an act which I suspect that even you now know was your greatest sin. Even as I stand here, naked, hunched in upon myself through habit against a winter's chill, I no longer feel. I smell the megahounds and hear the distant footfalls of the mercenaries who follow those beasts' lead. They've hunted me down, back almost to the place of my birth, your home. They think they will capture me, their perfect soldier, their perfect weapon, capture me and return me to the work for which I have been crafted, the skulking and the stealing and the killing, the killing, the killing. They will be too late. I stand only yards from the chasm through which flows the Mosem River, the one in whose waters you first taught me to swim. I love those lessons, though even then seeds of doubt must have lingered in my mind. I wondered why I could swim beneath the water so much longer than you ever could. If I had been around other children, I'd have seen even more clearly my difference, but you kept me alone. I had thought it my home as well as yours, but the mansion whose lights I see burning on the far side of his void, was really my prison. It looks like a prison now, with its new fences and the lights and the guards patrolling the grounds. Someone had considered I might try walking up to your door someday for a reunion and made sure my way would be quite difficult. I wonder if the others, those men who paid for my creation, have protected their investment by protecting you thus from me. Or did you realize what I was capable of and fear for yourself? There are other questions I would ask you, but I know there will be no chance for that. My body, your design, is wonderfully adaptable, more than you had imagined, or so it seems. But I cannot change the physical laws of the universe, cannot force time to stand still for everyone but you and me. If I could, then I would get my answers. Would they cause me to reconsider my decisions? We shall never know. I draw deep lungfuls of the frigid air. The smells of this land bring back memories. They were pleasant memories when formed, and I feel a dissonance between that recollected feeling and the reality of those memories in light of later events. Just as I remember learning to swim in the Mosam, I remember all of the other things you taught me as a boy. To run and jump and climb. To move silently and disarm a man. To pick locks, to set traps to improvise killing tools. You made these all seem like games, and I loved the challenge, loved seeing what new things I could accomplish each day. But I grew and became more a man than a child, and when the others came, their challenges were not games. I learned I was not just your special child, truly one of a kind, but not truly human. 
For a brief while I'd hoped you would protect me from those other men, that perhaps they were one of your games, one much more complex than any before. But you grew ever more distant, and when they told you I wasn't good enough in some way, you took me and forced me to learn, even when I tried to refuse. You forced me to change. When they took me away, I did not shed a tear. I already hated you then. The years since, the sins I have done in their service only serve to fuel my enmity. The sounds of the hounds and men are still faint, but I will wait no longer, risk no failure. One more deep breath, and I race for the precipice. My legs power me toward the open air with a speed to shame the great sprinters, and when I push off from the ground, it is almost as if I could reach the ground on the other side, solely through their strength and the strength of my will. But gravity takes hold, as it always must. The soaring gives way to falling, and even though I know what's coming, my stomach clenches and my pulse races, as it must. For with those reactions comes your glorious creation's latest feat of adaptability. Pain rips through me as the wing-light structures burst through my skin. I steady myself in the night air and then inch slowly higher. My wings are just enough to support my own weight, and the pain of their unfurling is matched by the pain of using them to fly. Still, as I turn toward your lights, I can't help but let out a great cry of bloody joy. The echo fades, and I fly closer to your encircled home. The guards' postures are wary, but even they do not think to look to the sky. The pursuers I left behind are still a mile away. No one has seen. Will they suspect? I suppose some will, but no matter. I will have all the world to hide in after tonight. But first, father, I am coming. For you, prepare to receive your penance. And that brings us to the end of another show. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons 3.0 license, which means you can download the content and share it around, but no changing it and no selling it. If you're feeling generous, please feel free to donate a little something. The buttons are easy to find on our website and everything goes into the pot to keep the District of Wonders going, bringing you great fiction every week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be here next week with more fantastical tales to keep you smiling. Until then, take it easy. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 